Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. Member S Man 540 shares his journey from a small boutique bank to a reputable bulge bracket investment bank. How he struck out the first time with on-cycle private equity recruiting while at the boutique, and how he recovered the second time around while at the bulge bracket. Learn how intense the on-cycle private equity recruiting process is and why it's similar to a hostage situation. Enjoy. S-Man540, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Patrick. Cool, man. So it'd be great if you could give a quick summary of your background. Uh, sure. So I'm uh, born and bred uh, from New York. Uh, both my parents are physicians, so growing up, I always had an interest in healthcare, um, but didn't really know what I wanted to do professionally, and then ended up going to a target school for undergrad, and pretty much everyone was funneled into either consulting or banking. And I was studying uh, healthcare policy at the time, so I thought I'd try to combine the healthcare that I grew up with, with just this banking push that everyone else was doing. And turned out I actually ended up really liking it, really having an interest in finance. So I did an um, internship in a markets group at a bulge bracket my sophomore year, leveraged that to break into front office role uh, with an investment banking with a boutique, uh, a healthcare boutique my um, junior year for my mm-hmm. internship. I accepted that role full time. And then after six months on the job, uh, received a lateral opportunity to switch to a bulge bracket, uh, still in investment banking, but within a different vertical. And mm-hmm. I've been doing that for the last eight months now. Great. And uh, real quick, so you specifically, um, going back to kind of undergrad, when you were, yeah. when you made that decision of like, okay, finance does interest me, what that was, you said sophomore year? Yeah, yeah. It, it was, uh, to be exact, it was my first uh, semester of sophomore year. I had joined and on-campus business club, and so, just it was a stock-focused um, investment club. I, I joined the finance team, and we made pitches to the finance to the investment committee uh, every, every other week, and just really enjoyed the process. Got me interested in valuation, and kind of took off from there. Got it. So let's let's talk a little bit about like specifically the recruiting aspect of of yeah. You know, you, you kind of knew early on enough, like sophomore year. It's it's not if you had if you had come to that realization junior year, it might have been a lot harder, right? So tell me a little bit about yeah. um, just when you knew that's what you wanted to do. What did you do? Kind of what were the steps you took? Pretty much the first thing, and I think this is one of the benefits of having a target school and especially being in on campus clubs and involvements is I just reached out to the older kids in the club that I knew had done finance internships and had successfully yep. recruited. Mm-hmm. And I just said, where, you know, where do I start? What's the first step? And, uh, you know, people start recommending you buy the guidebooks and, you know, Wall, Wall Street Oasis, of course. And, um, and people recommend, you know, you start basically doing exactly what you're doing with them, but with people who are actually alumni and professionals who either run your club or run your major. Um, and so LinkedIn was pretty new at the time and had, was just starting to become really popular. So I made a LinkedIn and just started cold emailing um, alumni from my per, uh, specific business club since it had been around for a long time. Um, and not just my business club at my particular uh, school, but also at other schools in the country because it was a national business club. Um, and Great. I just you know, found a commonality, said, you're in my business club or you're from my school, you're from my major, let's talk. And then through those coffee chats, uh, someone recommended me to a market, uh, specifically a market research program at a bulge bracket um, and now it probably would even be too late as a sophomore. Um, at the time, it was around November of sophomore year, um, mm-hmm. and the inter- the interviews were starting in January. Now it's moved so early 
I probably would have had to be doing this at, in the summer of my freshman year because now the interviews are starting right when you get back on campus your sophomore year. So tell me something. So like that's for the sophomore summer or that's for junior summer? That's, that's for sophomore summer. So, so sophomore. it's happening about, well, okay, it's, it's happening about, uh, what would that be, nine months? before the start yeah, date of yeah, the internship? Just about, just about nine months, yeah. So not as crazy as private equity recruiting. But no, still. <laughs> no not, not nearly as crazy as recruiting. Um, but still, okay, so you're, you you have enough time here, so you're like doing it on camp. Like you said, it, back then, it was only a few years ago, but back then, right, you basically um, were prepping in your sophomore, right at the beginning of sophomore year, you're, you're doing a lot of that networking because the, the interviews were kind of uh, November, December, January um, of your right. sophomore year. Now it's almost like right when you get back on campus, you need to be doing almost freshman, end of freshman summer, you need to almost be doing exactly. this networking and getting ready. Um, and, you know, this is now October 2019. So people who are just back on campus now, if you're looking for a sophomore summer internship, get on it because <laughs> it's definitely the clock is ticking. Definitely scrambled. There's there's definitely still boutiques that are recruiting. I know some of the bulge brackets have, have closed or are just starting to close, but definitely a lot of boutiques still actively recruiting right now. Talk to me a little bit about like this sophomore internship buzz and craze. Well, at least five years ago, I know sophomore internships were very much like, oh, you don't really need it. It's just yeah. almost impossible to get. It seems like that has, that, that from speaking to a few people, like the pendulum has swung to where it's almost now, like for the most competitive candidates, like the sophomore internship is, is critical. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so I, I think the biggest problem is that now, because for junior summer, um, recruiting is over a year in advance. Recruiting happens about 15 months in advance to mm -hmm. 12 months in advance. Mm -hmm. So kids are doing interviews for their junior year internship before even starting their sophomore year internship. So because of that, in order to get the internship or in order to get the interview to begin with, you have to have something on the resume to be able to talk about. Um, and so I, so I, even I, though I, you I, haven't cool. started the sophomore summer internship, exactly. you put that on your exactly. resume to help you land junior summer internship interviews. Exactly. This is insane. Exactly. This is insane. Unless, what do you put? What do you put on the resume? You have nothing. You have no experience. You just say future exactly. intern. You, you just put. <laughs> you put future, you know, incoming uh, sophomore summer intern, you know, in this division, this boutique investment bank or whatever. And then that helps you land exactly. the bulge bracket, summer analyst interviews. Got it. Exactly. Okay. And um, a, a few people also do, uh, you know, will do a corp dev internship their sophomore year and sort of say, you know, I'm really interested. The, the old story was I'm interested in corp dev, but once I did it, I wanted more valuation work. Now the story is, well, you know, I wanted to get some client side and some industry exposure before I go into a particular vertical or, you know, I'm interested in product banking and I wanted to get industry exposure before trying for my internship, you know, something like that. Um, unpack and that so, a little. I think that's really interesting. Can you unpack that a little bit more in terms of how the stories have evolved in terms of what this, the story you tell recruiters? Can you, yeah, can, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's become a challenge because you can't really speak to experience anymore. Right. Um, and you, it, you know, it used to be for me at least, especially I did my sophomore internship just because it was something I was interested in. And I, I liked following the markets. I thought market data, market research would be great. Mm -hmm. um, but what, you know, and then I, I did the internship. There were things I liked, there were things I didn't like. And I said, maybe I can find something that's a better fit. And that, you know, that, that was true, but that was also an easy story to tell. Now it's sort of, you have to tell them why you didn't apply to their sophomore internship in investment banking in, you know, July after your freshman year. And so you have to basically say, I mean, you know, everyone has a different approach, but what I tell the kids, especially from my business school that reach or from my business club that reach out to me, um, you know, I tell them just, you don't need to make any excuses. Just say, have a reason for why you're doing your particular intern internship this summer. So if you got a corp dev gig, say, you know, I really think that it's going to give me industry exposure and I really love this industry. Um, but, you know, I, I, it's, I, it's something that I wanted to do to get the client side so that I could be a better banker in my junior summer and I you're could be a step ahead of the kids who've only done banking. To be clear, this is advice for people who didn't, who missed the boat on like the bulge bracket sophomore applications exactly. or something. So that, exactly. so that you exactly. sound like, oh no, like I, I knew I really wanted this corp dev or this other, you know, industry vertical experience. And that's why I hadn't applied, exactly. blah, blah, blah. Just to, to make it a, a legitimate excuse. <laughs> when exactly. in reality, yeah, exactly. when reality it may have been like, you didn't even know you wanted to do banking, right? But that's not I like mean, it. In, re in reality, you know, no 19 year old should be planning their career five years in advance. Um, right. <laughs> but they have to now. Right. Okay. Fair enough. So, so tell me, okay, so let's back to your story. So you're, you kind of, you're doing this boutique internship um, your sophomore summer, but you have that kind of lined up on your resume now 
to try and land the junior right. summer interviews, when do those kind of start hitting for you on camp? Is it, I assume it's on campus recruiting. And tell me a little bit about like the yeah. resume drop and the conversions to first rounds and stuff like that. So the, um, it's, so it's really, it's all moved to higher view at the big banks now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it used to be on campus interviews um, for all the target schools. Now they just send you basically a link to a video platform. It's not even a Skype interview. It's just, you talk into a blank screen and it's then reviewed by first an algorithm and to screen out certain patterns that I'm not aware of. And then it's then reviewed by the on-campus recruiting team who will watch all of these videos of these kids answering five behavioral questions on, into staring at a camera. And then you'll pick the kids for the Super Day from that. Um, so what, what that really has meant is it 100% has turned into networking. And it's all about networking with people when typically the firms will come on campus if you're a target school in around um, february or march of mm-hmm. your um for of what is your sophomore year but for junior year summer so we're talking you know 16 months in advance of internship start they'll come they'll do a networking session you'll get cards you'll get emails reach out to those people right away schedule calls start contacting them maintain a dialogue mm-hmm. and then as soon as the the applications will open, typically, depends on the firm. Some of them open right away. Some of them open in March of sophomore year, again, you know, for junior yep. internship. Yep. Some open uh, July 1st was when pretty much all the bulge brackets open this year. Um, so, you know. So a, almost a full year, about a year. Two weeks before. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Got it. Okay. Um, and, and, and then basically because it is this high review system, you don't really get a chance to have a first shot at the interview. Um, and they screen, you know, they'll screen – hundreds of candidates per school um, for what ends up being 20 to 30 Super Day invites. How did you prep um, for looking into a camera and talking into a camera and not feeling super weird about it? <laughs> I mean, I was, the higher view thing actually started literally the year after I recruited. Ah, okay. So yep. I didn't have to do it, but, yep. um, I, you know, most people that I've talked to and asked about it um, or that, that I, you know, people have reached out and asked me for help and I sort of put them in touch with friends who were younger and they basically said that they literally just recorded themselves over and over and over again on their computer, answering simple questions they knew where they were going to get, like why investment banking, um, you yep. know, why why'd you choose your major in college, uh, just tell me about yourself in general. Um, and then, you know, you, you basically just watch video of yourself and you notice weird things that you're doing. Weird you ticks. You're not looking at the camera properly and so on. Yeah, you get the you get the weird ticks. You get the weird, uh, you know the ums and the, you know, the filler words, you start exactly. catching those. Yeah. And then try to try to clean it up and polish it a little bit better. Got exactly. it. Also, we'll probably try not to sound like a robot after you practice a hundred times. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> trying try to sound like a human is, is uh, pretty hard these days. So, yeah. So, okay. So you didn't have to go through that, but you were, it was fairly accelerated in terms of your, your process. Tell me a little bit about, so you started, they came on a campus. Was it around March? You said March, April. Um, it was, well, for, so uh, again, that, th- those are timelines for today. For yeah. me, they came onto campus, um, just as students were getting back. So August. August. Um, oh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry for the, for, junior. for, for the initial networking sessions for yeah. me, it was also, yeah, March, March, April, um, for the network. So like right at the end of sophomore year. And so did so- stuff start opening up like for junior summer then? And you already had, um, you I'm, hadn't done your, you hadn't done your sophomore internship yet, but you had it on your resume. Correct. And exactly. what, what did you exactly. put? Were there any bullets under that, under that? Um, I, I just put a dis- one line description of what my role would be, mm-hmm. um, you know, working in markets, so on. And then I put, um, my title was just incoming summer analyst and that was it. That was, and then the date that I'd be working and the firm and that was it. And that's pretty standard nowadays that where they expect you to yeah. do that. Okay, cool. So, yeah, yeah, so definitely. they come on campus, you know, the game, you're going to go to these networking sessions for all the bold brackets, all the other elite boutiques, you're collecting cards and you just immediately start emailing people to try and get on the phone. Yeah, basically that same night, as soon as you leave, you just start writing your emails. Um, and you send them either that night or, you know, you draft them that night and send them first thing the next morning. Mm-hmm. And, um, you you know, you basically just say, really enjoyed speaking with you. Let me know if you can find some time to get on the phone. And then, you know, the hit rate's pretty low for that. Like, you know, you might meet 10 people at the event, email all of them, mm-hmm. and only one will talk to you. But the key is just every person who talks to you, you just say at the end, is there anyone you recommend I speak with? Mm-hmm. Um, and especially if you're at a bulge bracket, the most important thing is talking to the staffer because the, at, at, at least at, at, um, uh, at our firm here, the staffer is in charge of all recruiting and it's their full-time job. So they basically, they, it, you know, they, they're a banker, like first year VP or so, 
And then they get basically a year of, instead of being a banker, they just do recruiting and staffing analysts on projects. Okay. So kind of like a very different role. (laughs) Whoever gets stuck with that. Exactly. It's it's basically a treat. I mean, it's a vacation for the first year of VPs. Right. So so they basically are, you're trying to get them on the phone. So you're hoping that one of these analysts or associates or someone who was at the information session will, will give you that contact. Exactly. And then even if they ignore you, your name's out there, you've shown that you've networked, you've shown that you've at least right. reached out, maybe they recognize it, you. So are they the, who's the one, who's actually looking at these videos that are coming in? How many videos, I mean, I assume now that it's a video platform, they're basically, probably it's like maybe a thousand people sending videos. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's pretty, pretty crazy. So for here, um, so I, I'm actually on the, campus recruiting team for the school that I went to. Right. Um, and so since it's a target school, it's basically a collection of bankers who are at the firm who went to your school, who volunteer to be on the recruiting team. Right. Um, and so it's the same people who go to these networking sessions. Right. Um, which is... Which but are, is you, are you guys helpful. the one actually looking at the high, like the videos? Or are you guys ones uh, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, I mean, we'll, we'll literally... And it's analysts all the way up to MD will be watching these videos. Um, and how long and do you guys spend for, on each video? Do you guys do you guys choose like one specific question to focus on each of you or something like that, and you rank um, it, and then it's, it? Yeah, it's 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 much more. Um, you watch so many. I mean, I personally have watched. Call it, you know, I ended this. This was my first year with the firm, and yeah. I watched probably fifteen to twenty higher views from kids from my school, and they basically just said, "Was there anyone like not not even rank them? Just was there anyone who stood out?" Um, you know, and in, in a positive way, or was there anyone who made an impact on you or, you know, write down a list of names of people who made an impression. And then I, it's kind of a black box from there. I don't know and, who does the deciding or and how the that fifth, it, And the 15 to 20 that you watch, are you watching just one of their responses? You're watching their full, like five question. You, yeah. Thing. Each, each question they time it and they only give you, it's, it's, it's either a minute and a half or two minutes per question. So yep. It's ten, you know. It's ten it's minutes per person. Basically, five to ten minutes per person. That's actually a lot. Um, and it's actually a lot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and you you do it over the course of um, over the course of about two weeks, or at least I did. Okay. Um, because they, they sent, you know, the a, the applications open July first. It's rolling. We basically started watching higher views right away, and then by like July fifteenth, they said, okay, here's the kids we've selected for the super day. Got it. Okay. And so did yeah. you feel like any of the kids you said stood out ended up making it to the Super Day? A few of them? Um, yeah, actually two two did. Um, mm-hmm. and one one got the offer, which was which was uh, pretty pretty exciting. Pretty cool to do that in, in that process. And were you, um, and he he also was a kid who had reached out to me before yeah. even submitting his application. You know, he had met me at the networking session, reached out, all all, all the standard stuff. And did you um, had he basically uh, were you when you were reviewing people, I assume they were just all from your, your school? Exactly. Yeah, okay. yeah. It, it was. Cool. I, I don't know how the non-target process works, but for us, at least, we only look at kids from our school. My guess is there's probably just a bucket of all the non-targets get thrown into one massive bucket, and some some poor soul has to go through that large bucket. <laughs> I, I I could see that being the case. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. So let's get back to your the the process and the timeline. So you're basically on campus. Sure. It's sophomore year. The info sessions happen. You start doing resume it's not really even i guess in your your case it was like res, resume drops or who's allowed to do in higher views anybody allowed or you have to be invited um you you have to be invited uh some people don't okay. even get the higher view so you get you get an you basically drop a resume in other words exactly exactly okay. yeah so it's like a getting a first round interview you do the recording hopefully you've practiced to this point so that you don't sound like a robot and you don't get nervous on camera correct um you submit those and then tell me about the turnaround time how long do you hear before it's um, going to be super day or not? It, so, yeah, so weeks, it right? can be, you know, they, they they do a number of waves of super days because mm-hmm. um, they don't, there'll be some super days that they'll only give out one. They'll pretty much always give out an offer, but some super days will give out one offer. Some they'll give out like six or seven. You know, it, it's it's not like they have a number of slots that they have to take each super day. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, it's it's a yes or no per, on a per, you know, applicant basis. So because of that, um, you know, I think for our school, we ended up having three super days in total. Got um, it. And so, you know, it, for some of the kids, they found out from submitting their higher view, the earliest they could have found out is two weeks. The latest is a month and a half, or it's even it. two months, actually. So two, to, two to eight weeks, let's say, um, in terms of yeah, when they would exactly. be notified of, of that they made it to a Super Day. That's really good information. Yeah. Tell me about specifically um, when you said there's three Super Days for your school. So there were Super Days yeah. 
is this for your group specifically, or is this is firm wide? Um, or and it's, and it's, is yeah. that, sorry, go ahead. Oh uh, no, I was going to say it's 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 firm wide, yeah. It's firm. It's a firm wide super day. Um, three of them, yeah. and then specifically, so it's not just your school, and it's not just right. your group. It's basically just for the pool of of um, analysts. Right, and it's typically they'll have um, a, a group of schools or a collection of schools um, mm-hmm. go at the same time. So they'll have, you know, if you went to an Ivy League, the Ivy Leagues will go at the same time. If you're at a Target Nest CAC, the Target Nest CACs will all go together. You know, you 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 start to notice patterns, especially when you're <laughs> interviewing. And you ask all the kids where they went to school, and they went to you know the same very right. similar school. So mm-hmm. um, it, exactly, it, it it'll be so it'll be three super days, um, and it's not just going to be kids from your school. It'll be a collection of schools. Is it um, fair to then, say you go from like traditional targets to semi targets to non targets in terms of the super days? Yeah, yeah, I think I I think that's that's pretty that's pretty fair. Do you feel like there's more offers being given in the set last two buckets versus the first bucket now that a lot of the is it like more competitive now that there's less interest in investment banking at the maybe at the target schools than traditionally? Do you feel like you I guys mean, are moving I'm, more downstream? I've I've only ever I've only ever seen the target school process because I don't right. really interact. You know, I, I I only am on my school's recruiting team. Right. So, so it's kind it's of a tunnel vision view. Yep. Um, I I can say in terms of you know kids who are interested in it, um, there there definitely is um there, there's definitely a concern at the bank level of um, kids, you know, taking kids from target schools because in terms of exit ops, they then have better opportunities once they start. And, you know, I don't know if they've run the math on it, but at, at, there's, there's definitely an opinion that a kid from a target from, you know, a, a top target school is more likely to leave than a kid from a, you know, general state school. Right. So the attrition being such a big issue now for the banks, they almost prefer a potential state school kid who's really smart. Um, and going to do be a great analyst that has a higher likelihood of staying versus, um, let's say, a kid from Ivy League that has a b- better chance exactly. to jump. So you think that school, let's call it pedigree or prestige, still plays a big factor in private equity recruiting? For pi- private equity, 100%. Um, only yeah. because, not on a firm level, but because the headhunters act as screeners. Got it. And the the headhunters basically determine who gets interviews and who doesn't. Yeah. Um, so, and the, you know, the headhunters, are, they're just playing a numbers game. Yep. They, they, they get a fee if you get the job, they don't, if you don't. So right. they are very, uh, so very biased towards the top target schools. Got it. Okay. Fair enough. Um, tell me a little bit about, so let's go back to your, I keep interrupting cause I'm curious about the specifics, but let's go back a little bit to your specific process. So you, you dropped your resume, you got some higher views, um, but you didn't go to a bulge bracket. So tell no. me about what was the thought process of going back to the boutique you were working at for your, it was your sophomore summer, right? Tell me about. Um, so so, it, so my, my sophomore summer was actually at a bulge bracket, but not oh, it was. in investment okay. banking. Got it. And then okay. junior summer was the boutique in investment banking. That's right. Okay. So tell me, so your junior summer was there. You obviously got a return offer at the boutique. Yeah. And so tell me about, did you try to leverage that offer to a land, a, um, land a, an analyst spot at a middle market, elite boutique, a bulge bracket bank, or what was your thought process when you got that offer or did, was it exploding? I mean, like you just didn't have the chance. Yeah. So they, they gave me two weeks to accept and it was very conditional, very clearly stated. If I don't respond by, you know, Friday, yeah. um, I, you know, August, whatever, I, I lose the offer. And so I did place some calls. I reached out to friends. I reached out to, you know, uh, some of the alumni I networked with in the process, just saying, you know, did your group not take any kids? You know, do you have any spots open? Um, and I just wasn't able to gain, tra- I mean, two weeks is not enough time to gain traction really in the full-time process. So I, I figured I'd much rather have a job than do recruiting again. Um, and I, I did enjoy the internship. I liked the people. So I said, you know, it's it, it's it's still banking. I'm happy in it. Let me take the safe bet. Right. So it's front office. It's still banking. It's at a good boutique. It has a good presence in their industry. So you're like, right. you know, I'm just going to get some good deal experience and, and be there. So tell me, when you came and started working, you know, it's interesting because they put that they put that really tight time frame on you for that exploding offer of two weeks, almost to force your hand. Yet, was it worth it? You know, I wonder was is it worth it for them to do that? Because then you look at right. kind of what happened to you, and you still ended up jumping what very, 
very soon after seven months into the job and that's that probably ended up costing them um yeah more yeah, than it, i mean they they had to replace me train the new person and it's hard to find good people on the run for jobs yeah you know <laughs> six months in right so tell me a little bit about that like did you feel when you started with them was it immediately like you started talking to people networking now that you were um you know now that you were had the banking job on your resume now that you kind of were you know you had that going you could you could do it without the time restriction or that that exploding offer tell me how that lateral pro you know lateral recruiting process worked was it people reaching out to you or were you active yeah so it was um it, it so what it my you know route might be a little different than some of the people who lateral but basically i had done the on-cycle private equity recruiting process as a first year at this at a small boutique um and just wasn't able to get any traction with the headhunters um, and mm. even from a target school in investment banking at a respected boutique, um, you know, if, if, if at least, you know, m maybe I'm putting the blame somewhere else, but to me, it felt like I just wasn't taken seriously or getting traction because I wasn't at a, you know, a, a top firm. Mm. Um, and so to me that had caused a little bit of frustration, but I was, I was very focused on private equity recruiting. And then just one of my friends, um, told me that a couple of second years in his group, had left um, early and had left, you know, six months earlier than they expected because their PE job said, hey, we want you to start early. Um, and they had openings and they were hiring three laterals. And he just said, are you interested? And part of it was the frustration and part of it was just not gaining traction in PE recruiting. I said, absolutely, here's my resume. Um, and it was, you know, I, I, I think our group uh, here at, at the Bullfrag, it was very, you know, in need of analysts at the time and mm -hmm. especially was having trouble finding people in december especially it was right before the holiday season yep so i interviewed with them two days later i had a super day uh and then i received my offer that monday so over the course of five days went from not even you know thinking about it to having an offer um and starting in a month so okay so that makes a lot of sense to me you know tell me but before you know talk to me a little bit about that frustration with the private equity on cycle recruiting process tell me like how many recruiters did you meet with were there specific recruiters did you feel did you get any interviews or just they were for smaller middle market shops only like tell me a little bit about that yeah so i um i pretty much met with all of the recruiters um you know i i had done a lot of prep i knew what i was getting myself into um and you know i, I appropriately treated them like interviews um and i i felt like the meetings with the recruiters went well um but only a couple of the not non-major recruiters you know the the CPIs, the Henkels, were not sending me any opportunities. Hmm. I was able to get two or three interviews at um, small middle market opportunities, and I was able to get a lot of opportunities in Chicago, um, which to me, just being from New York City, I, I had no interest in, in leaving uh, the Northeast. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, I was only looking at New York, Boston. Um, and so because of that, I, I, you know, I was thinking, do I want to uproot my life and apply to some of these P jobs in Chicago that are expressing interest? Um, you know, and, and also in, in terms of like the opportunities, it wasn't even like I was not getting interviews. I wasn't even getting the email to ask if I was interested in these interviews or in, you know, potential interviews um, that my friends at Bulls Brackets were getting. And I, I wasn't getting the, you know, invitations to dinner events or drinks events that all of my friends at Bulls Brackets were getting. Right. And so to me, I just, I just started saying, okay, there's clearly, you know, a bias here. Um, let me, I'm, I, you know, let me keep shooting my shot and see how it goes. And then I was. So just did you did you get any? So did me. you do any inter interviews in that first first I year? I did. I did. I had okay. I, I had about I had two interviews. I was able. To, I got three, um, you know, like cocktail events essentially. Yep. And got two on cycle interviews at very small middle market industry focused um, funds. And how did those turn out? You didn't quite get the offers, or you, you were close? Yeah, no, yeah. Both both of those, I I didn't quite get the offers, and um, that definitely, I you know, where where I worked had no impact on that. That was purely on performance, competitiveness of of, yep. of the candidates. Yep. Um, I but um, you know, it, it it was more so. I you know, in my opinion, especially after the first one, I felt like I did exponentially better in the second interview. Um, and I felt like if I got a third interview, you know, it's like each, after each interview, I made it to the next round. So the first one met with two people and got the axe. The next one, I made it to the modeling exam and then got the axe. Um, and you know, I felt like if now that I've seen it, now that I've done it, if I get a third one, I get, I can lock down the offer. Um, and then just wasn't.
getting any interest or wasn't getting that third interview. You know, I've interviewed a few people that kind of have gone through the first the recruiting, the, the on-cycle recruiting process in private equity in their first year of banking. And a lot of them have started saying, you know, they wish they had delayed. Did you have any of that regret? Yeah. Like you wish you had more prep? Like I know our private equity interview course, a lot of people do that. And then they're like, oh man, I should have done this a long time ago before I <laughs> had my shots. You know what I mean? Yeah. It sounds like you got to yeah, reset I, a little bit because you went, you did lateral, but talk to me a little bit about the prep you did kind of leading up into the, into the interview. Yeah. So I, I, I did um, purchase the, the Wall Street Oasis guide for private equity recruiting. Mm-hmm. And I, I will also say, you know, not, not to toot your horn, but it, in my opinion, it's by far the best guide for private equity. Recruiting. Appreciate that. Appreciate um, that. And, the both in terms of the modeling exams and I think most importantly just the technical questions on it. Mm-hmm. Every single interview that I asked, ninety percent of the technicals I could point to the guide and say he took it from here, um, or it was you know an extrapolation of here. Right. Um, and so I, I had read that over my summer um, before start while I was in training. You know the training is is pretty much a joke. It's two months of basically a vacation before you start banking. Right. And so I I took those two months to basically read through the guide, um, you know, talk to some of my friends who are in the industry, ask, you know, do practice modeling exams. Um, but I, I think genuinely to some extent you can't, it's hard um, to replicate it. Yeah. You, you need the mocks. You need, yeah. a, you need a realistic mock exactly. interview. Yeah, exactly. So we, we try you just need to have <laughs> interviews to, to learn it. We try to encourage people to do like at least one mock interview with their actual private equity professional. Cause we're like, dude, you don't know until you're actually in 100%. there in the hot seat. Like it's it's very different, you know, than reading a guide and then yeah. like practicing in your head or pr- even practicing in front of a camera versus live. But um, and the, the thing is, the thing with private equity is, it's like everyone's in, everyone's incredible, everyone's impressive. So it's really about how you come across and how how genuine, how passionate, how you know, or how likable you are, really. Um, so it's it's interesting to me that. Um, yeah, it's just interesting to me that more people don't do that. At least with maybe they do with friends, um, but they should be doing it a lot in terms of just drilling with that a hundred percent if i had done you know three or four uh mock interviews with a professional i would have gotten the first offer yeah Um, i don't i don't that's what i don't get it's like you know you spend what is a couple hundred bucks (laughs) you like have you have like real live feedback but it's okay whatever point is like it's it's one of those things where um i think you need to go through it to realize like Oh man, I could have been so much better. You don't you don't realize how much better you can get until you kind of fall on your face for the first few times. Um, exactly. But okay, so that's good. So you you were you were getting better, but you're still frustrated because the cycle passed, um, and it was on cycle. You didn't you didn't get any offers. But at the same time, do you feel like you burned any bridges having talked to recruiters and them knowing you, or do you feel like once you lateral to the bulge bracket, you had almost had a new rebrand and you could um, you were seen in a different light? you definitely burn bridges if you don't rebrand. Um, okay. And I think part of the appeal of the laddering to the bullish bracket was that it would give me an opportunity because essentially the recruiters get feedback from mm-hmm. the people that you interview with. And if they say the kid's not ready, they're not going to send you more opportunities. Got it. Um, so, you, you know, it, exactly what you said. I needed the rebrand to meet with them again as a second year, having done interviews, having prepped um, and, you know, being polished for me to come back and say, I'm stronger. This is my new story. You know, get me in front of a fund and I'll, I'll, I'll kill it. Got it. Okay. So you're at a specific group. I won't say at the bolts bracket, did that have any impact in terms of the type of opportunities you were seeing? Um, definitely. Definitely. I think okay. especially once, once I did you know, on cycle the second time, mm-hmm. I realized that firm is incredibly important, but especially now that the cycle has gotten so early, yeah. even more important is what group you are. Um, so I was, I was only getting a small handful of generalist offers. Um, you know, the, the M and a kids were getting every, you know, offer basically every interview under the sun. So if you had to rank um, the groups, the, what's the best groups to be in for private equity recruiting? I, I think I know the answer, but go ahead. And yeah. what would you say is the best? A hundred percent top three is M and a financial sponsors and less in, in that order. Got it. Okay. Um, and then tech is a close fourth. What about like a restructuring group for like distressed funds or something like that or credit funds? Um, I, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think reach, um, I wasn't, you know, I didn't really look at any of those opportunities, so I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm biased. Sure I'm biased. Be... Cause I was in restructuring. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But anyways, go ahead. So, um, so you, okay. So you get the rebrand, you're getting some opportunities, not as many as the M and a kids. Um, but you know, you're still getting some looks. Um, your right. story is really down pat. Now you're, you're you kind of had that full 
year under your belt of banking. You, I assume you have some deal experience at this point? I did. I did. I had, I had closed the transaction before I left, or my transaction had announced before I left my first firm. Yep. And then I, um, I had a second transaction announced uh, in, in about May uh, with, with my current firm. Awesome. And so you had some good stuff to talk to. Um, did you pre- tell me how you prepped specifically for those? Uh, those I, I assume a lot of the interviews focused on the specific deals you worked on. Yeah, yeah. Um, a first round interview with every firm is basically just a five minute, you know, conversation of walk me through your resume and a few technicals, and then twenty five minutes of walking through your deals. And so, um, how do you and, any tips specifically on how? I mean, we have we just released something new on the on the on the PE course where we actually have private equity professionals walking through deals they did in banking. Um, yeah. We actually have audio now, like po- almost like a okay. podcast form where people can listen to how they talked about their deals um, in the PE recruiting setting. But I'd love to hear: is there any tips you have in terms of people prepping for like that that transaction or that deal walkthrough? Like, what should they know? Yeah. I mean, the, you know, the very first question of, or sorry, the first or second question of the Wall Street Oasis guy that has all the technicals, mm-hmm. it, it tells you basically exactly what everyone's going to be interested in your deals, which is, you know, first and foremost, just what was the size, what was the multiple it went for, mm-hmm. you know, PE, EBITDA, EBITDA um, book value, if, you know, you, you, if the firm, if applicable. And, um, you know, the, that's, that's sort of the rundown. The next one is the investment thesis. Mm-hmm. Why, you know, why, why does the deal make sense? Um, which then always turns into, would you invest in the deal? Right. Um, so on and so forth. Basically just three bullets about, um, you know, why the deal was happening. And then in addition to that, just have three merits and considerations. Um, so, you know, why a company would buy another company is different than why the company is a good company. And it's important to know that those are two different things. And if you answer why they bought it as just why the company was good, you're answering that question wrong. Right. Um, and, and, and so, you know, just merits and considerations of the, the, the target company in the, um, in the deal. And then, um, you know, items of diligence and just further points of diligence. And I, I literally, for prepping it, I opened up our diligence tracker. And I literally just looked at some of the high-priority diligence items that we had actually listed for the, for the process and, you know, why – and thought, just took a couple seconds to say, why was this high-priority versus low-priority? Why was this so important? Um, and, and so, you know, some of the things like how do they um, – uh, you know, like what the CEO succession plan was high-priority for us because – the, you know, the, the, the deal was a private equity-backed deal, so they really cared if management was going to stay. Or, you know, right. if, if in particular it's like, is the company going to hit their numbers? You know, what's their revenue retention look like? Basically, you just look at what the high-priority items are and you think, why is this important? Um, and then when they then ask you, what would you diligence further about the deal, you then just list off the three things from your diligence tracker. Right, in terms of the highest priority items and why they, exactly. why you think they're important. So okay, so exactly. that so that's great. So really drilling down your deals, knowing them inside and out is obviously critical to being successful. So you felt like yeah. um, so tell me about the the process. So how many now that you're at this bulge bracket, you're getting a few more looks. You're a little yeah. bit more polished now. You have deals you can really you know sink your teeth into in terms of the interview and, and show that you know your stuff. Were you doing a lot of the yeah. modeling on these deals, so you're able to kind of talk to that? Um, yeah, so I on on the deal that I did here, I actually did not do the modeling. Um, but you very quickly learn how to pretend you did the modeling, uh, which is you. you <laughs> how do you pretend? The M&A team yeah, okay. and ask them for the model. <laughs> Got it. Got it. So, so even if you didn't do the model, you can at least be familiar with enough with the model where you can say like, yeah, I was in the model and da da da. But you know, exactly. Um, yeah. Do you have to actually say, yeah, I built it, or do you say, yeah, I'm very familiar with the numbers and all the model and the deal? How do you frame it? I mean, it? I, I think. Especially if you're at a bulge bracket that has a particularly strong M&A team, yeah. they're going to, you know, they're going to call your bluff if you say that you ran the model. Right. Um, but I, I, I think you can very realistically say, you know, we we diligence some of the assumptions in the model and some of the growth targets that, you know, we're very company specific or we're industry specific. And we work closely with the, you know, internal team at the company to come up with these assumptions um, because, and, you know, and it's it's true, especially if you go deep in a process, mm-hmm. the M&A guys are kind of just plugging and chugging, you know, and modeling. Yeah. You, it's the, the coverage group that's actually the one, you know, updating the numbers and actually giving the assumptions to drive the model. So Got I it. think if you're honest with that, um, you definitely would get credit for it. But you also have to be ready to defend if they start asking you, well, where'd you, why 5%? You know, what growth did you use? Why? Where'd that yeah, and, how, and how much you know? industry knowledge do you feel like you needed? Like how much, how uh, deep did you have to go? I, it, it definitely depends on if it's with a fund that's 
industry-focused fund or not. Yeah. Um, with the generalist funds, 100%, um, it's not that deep. It's, it's pretty high level. Yep. Um, if it's with a fund in your sector, especially, and this is something that happened to me, unfortunately, if they worked on the deal that you're talking about and they were a potential buyer in it, um, you know. It, <laughs> it's it, like worst nightmare. <laughs> it, it, yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, it, you know, it, it, it happened to me where um, essentially, you know, I, the, the, the guy wiped the floor with me because he knew a deeply high level, you know, what the comps were trading at, what precedent transactions specifically he had looked at, you know, things like that. And, and that's actually one thing I didn't mention that I should have is, in addition to knowing your deal, it's just as important to know, you know, and similar to what multiple went for, what precedent transactions went for, um, you know, what, what multiples were used there and what the comps are currently trading at. Um, mm -hmm. Because, you know, it, that for me, especially in this interview, that was the first thing he went to. He was like, well, you know, did you look at and then name the precedent deal that I was not familiar with, you know, at, at, in this transaction at all? And I, I had, and he said, okay, well, why didn't you look at that? You know that X, Y, Z. So, you know, it's, it's, for, for an industry-focused fund, I would say pretty. You, you need to have a pretty strong industry knowledge, know the trends, um, know, know the what transactions the in that space. Doing. Yeah, know the exactly. transactions in that transactions. space and know where the comps are trading, the public comps. Exactly. Got it. Okay. Um, fair enough. And so tell me about like just the overall stats. So in other, in other words, like you kind of re-reached re out to all the recruiters. Did you get, were they willing to talk to you again, number one, because you had the rebrand? Yeah. And number two... How many of those conversations led to first round interviews or coffee or, or you know cocktail hours and all that stuff? Yeah, so um, I, you know some of the recruiters actually had reached out to me, mm -hmm. um, and some of them some of them keep track or will send you you know kind of bi-monthly just email blasts to everyone that they've met with saying what's your current status? Do you have an offer or no? Mm -hmm. um, and so some had reached out to me saying hey you know just wanted to check on your status, and I then dropped oh hey I'm actually at you know full track X Y Z would love to meet. Um, or and some I just reached out to independently. A hundred percent were receptive. Every, everyone was, at, you know, more than willing to meet with me again. Um, and then in, in terms of where that went, you know, down the line, um, I ended up getting. Whereas before I had had, you know, three cocktail events throughout the whole on-cycle process um, and two interviews. Before the process even started, I had six, you know, cocktail drinks, breakfast events, essentially networking events with the firms. Um, and then as soon as the process kicked off, that turned into four on-cycle interviews. Tell me about the, uh, the timing of that. When did that happen? I know that just happened, right? Like a month ago? Yeah, yeah. So um, it's the, um, essentially the end of August, you know, mid, mid call it August 20th mm -hmm. um, or so, the coffee chats start, start happening. Um, they went on for about two to three weeks. And then I think it was September 12th. Were people still in training? That, like their first year, the people who had just started at the desk, they, were some of them still in training or they had just finished? Um, I Probably at some groups they had. At, yeah. at our group, they literally had started, the coffee chat started the week after the kids started at the desk. Yeah. <laughs> so their second week on the job, they're having these coffee chats with firms. Um, and then less than a month into the job, they're having first round interviews. Yeah, for a job that's almost two years away. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So just to give people perspective, this is people who are starting the, the typical on-cycle private equity recruiting process starts um, two years in advance. So in other words, people in September of 2019 were interviewing for jobs that wouldn't start till what, June or July of 2021? Yeah. Okay. So just to give people a little perspective how crazy it is <laughs> so okay so you're you're interviewing um that six or so co or you know cocktail hours turns into four on cycle um interviews are those do those immediately go to um in person or like final rounds yeah, or how many so rounds are there and let's so, talk about that yeah um so it's it's different for every fund but basically the way it was at all the ones i went to was mm -hmm. they just bring you in in the morning and they have you interview with people until they give you an offer or send you home Got it. Okay, and then um, tell me, and, um, yeah. tell me about the, ex you know, were these middle market, upper middle market funds, mega funds? Were they? Um, tell me about that pressure with with the, you know, doing the interviews all day. They either send you home. Are you immediately going to another fund right after that, yeah. or how does it work? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, one, I I got sent home, and then you know, I, I got told to leave, and then less than an hour later, I was meeting with the next fund. <laughs> Um, and I had been at the first one from 8 a.m. until 3 p.m. And then I was at the next one by 
and then so you're at the next fund by 330 are they both like upper and middle market funds what would you call what would, uh, would you yeah the the smallest that i met with was um a around billion it was like a 900 million dollar fund mm-hmm. um and the largest i met with was a you know i'll, I'll call it 10 billion plus fund got it um so it, it was you know it was it was definitely a range um and you know, there, there's also definitely a strategy. You know, I was kind of lucky with the timing of mine. They were more spaced out. But the, the way that some people have it is you're literally at a fund and you get a call with an invite to a mega fund. And you're at, you know, mid, you know round mid-market mid fund. You have to make the decision, do I leave right now and go to this mega fund or do I take my chances, things are going well so far, and try to get the offer here and sacrifice the then interview at the mega fund. So it's, 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 it's a lot of you know, game theory going on. And so what do you think, uh, how, how would you, how would you advise people who are going through this incredibly stressful process? It's happening over a weekend typically, right? It's like yeah, two days, yeah, two or three days. It, yeah. It, it started on Thursday night and it ran until basically Tuesday of the next week. Um, and tell me what I, time I, I, are they I'm, people, so yeah. they have people coming in at like 8am and how late are people interviewing till? So typically, um, it, you'll be there for five to six hours before you get an offer. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people, you know, they're, they're doing these nonstop. Uh, I had a friend who was at a mega fund. He came at the fourth. And it's not like they have slots. They just, whenever they send a candidate home, they call in the next one. So he got a call at around 430 for a, a mega fund. And he was there at five. He got the offer at two in the morning. So... I mean, he was, you know, he was there for about, uh, you know, doing some quick mental math, about nine hours. So He was there at two, or, uh, at, so they kept interviewing him and people were there interviewing him till two in the morning? Yeah, or, so it's, it's not nonstop. It's typically they'll have, you know, they'll, they'll have you interview with someone, they'll mm-hmm. put you in a room, and then they'll discuss everyone that they met with, and then they'll send you home or they'll have you meet with another person. So it's a lot of waiting, too. It's a lot of just kind of sitting in a room for, at some point, an hour you could be sitting in a room for two hours and have someone come in and send you home, or you could be there for two hours. And then after literally just, you met with one person, you're there for two hours, someone brings you into the next interview. And so it's, it's just very stop and go and very random. Man, it's stressful. And then you may get a call in the middle while you're waiting, like, Hey, come to this megaphone. Exactly. And you got to make that decision. So tell me about, did, did you have any of those decisions you had to make in the, in the moment? I, I was very lucky that I did not. Um, I had the, the way that mine worked was I, I had two on, the Friday, the day after it started. And then my other two were on Sunday. So I had, you know, a, one a day of rest in between, which was huge. And both were, you know, one in the morning, one at night. I think honestly, everyone that I've talked to just says I got crazy lucky. Um, and that's very rare. Um, so tell me, tell me about like, friends, did you land any offers in the first, that first day? Um, the, the first day I did not. The first day, um, the first one, I, you know, I, I it was, my very first interview in a year and I was a little rusty, but, and again, you know, definitely should have done a, in a <laughs> you know, practice with a professional. Yeah. Um, and it didn't, it did not go as well. The second one I made it to the final round. Um, and then the, the third one made it to the final round again. The fourth one got, got the offer that night at about midnight. Wow. So you were like under the gun. You, you, ba- you basically just got it. You basically just got yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Man. Congrats. And, and, and they also, when they give you the offer, some of it depends on the firm, but they told me I had two hours to decide. So, so... I had between midnight and 2 a.m. to make the decision. <laughs> I made a decision on the spot. But... What if you What if you fell asleep? <laughs> Just kidding. I mean, well, well, no, There's I, adrenaline. I, I, I was still there. I was. You, you were at know, the office. It, it was, yeah. I, I was there from, you know, 3.30. I was there for 3.30 to midnight. And then at midnight, you know, had my last. It, I actually was just sitting around waiting for about an hour. And then they came in and said, hey, you got the offer. You're going to take it. You have two hours. And you just said yes right there on the spot? I, I said, I, I said, I, you know, show me where to sign. Yeah. Awesome. Wow, man. Exciting and crazy. Um, I wish we yeah. could do like a, I wish we could do behind the scenes of that. That would be so intense. Like to see that, yeah. that, whole, that whole game <laughs> theory going down. And tell me a little bit about some of your friends and tell me about some of them, any stories around where, they did jump to try and go to that mega fun interview and ended up burning out and not getting any offers. Yeah. I, I mean, I fortunately, um, like any words of warning, really any friends who did it all ended up with offers, but, they did. Okay. um, yeah. I, I, I had one friend who was at a respectable, you know, one to 5 billion fund mm-hmm. and was waiting around basically to hear back if he got the offer or not, got the call from it, you know, top, top fund, you know, like, one of the big five 
mm-hmm. got the call, said, you know what, I'm going to take my chance, left uh, what, from what potentially could have been an offer if he had stayed for another hour or so, yeah. and then, you know, did that for a couple hours and, and landed it, um, which was an incredibly, you know, I, I would never move. have done it in a million years. But... It was a gutsy move. Yeah, it was, it was to say the least, it was a gutsy move. Um, but he he personally just had felt that his interviews hadn't gone that well at the first one. He was mm. kind of surprised he had made it as far as he did. Got it. And he had you know met with, um, you know the the top five fund had met with them, knew a bunch of kids from school and from from uh, um, his particular group that were there, and just felt you know chances were good he was going to take it. So he he felt like. At this, even though he got pulled into this first fund that was, I would say, a one one to five billion dollar fund, because the interviews didn't go really, really well, but he he felt like maybe he was being kept around almost as backup. And you right. got to be thinking like, are other offers going out right now and exploding in two exactly. hours? And is he just being held there? Um, yeah, interesting, really interesting. The yeah. game theory behind all that. Yeah, I mean, I would think if if I'm being held, 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 it's almost like you're being held hostage. <laughs> really? Yeah, no, I I, I mean, well, because it's it's literally they're like you. Sit while this kid's offer explodes. I think I, I think I know the title. I think I'm going to call this the private equity hostage situation. I think that's what I'm going to call it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like yeah. That a lot. yeah. Um, the game theory of the of the entire, I mean, we always talk about the game theory of the firms trying to get the, the top candidates. Um, tell me a little bit about, um, have you heard any rumblings? I know you haven't started in private equity, but from from the people and doing through the, going through the interview that they're frustrated with the process in terms of how early it's going? Yeah, the people on the bot, the people on the other side hate it. I mean, you know, they they are, you know, just as frustrated as us. Um, especially, you know, a lot of them feel like they're seeing good candidates who have a lot of potential that if they had interviewed in three months later, probably would have gotten the job. Mm-hmm. Um, and and a lot of them too, just also, you know, it's just very hard to ask someone interview questions. These kids don't have any deals. They yeah. only have an internship to go off of. So, you know, for them, they're like, it kind of feels like we're shooting fish in a barrel. Mm-hmm. Um, and what some firms have done to counter that is, especially some of the big firms, they'll have, you know, instead of having like a drinks event or something like that, they'll have coffee chats. And they'll instead of one or two coffee chats, they'll have like five to ten coffee chats per candidate. Got it. Um, and if they really like a candidate, they'll basically meet with them, you know, over and over again over the course of the three weeks before the process starts. And then once the process starts, they basically give them like two interviews, you know, they give them modeling and if they pass, they give them the job basically. Um, but yeah, no, a hundred percent, uh, both at the firm that I'll be going to and at people across the board, um, there's, there's, it seems like no one's happy with how it's going right now. Hmm. Any advice for people, you know, you kind of, you came in at an interesting thing because you had that first year under your belt. You kind of had a first bite of the apple, even though you only had a couple interviews, it kind of opened your eyes probably to the process. And then, you know, once you got the rebrand to the bolts bracket, you were almost more prepped. But even then, like you said, you had four interviews in the first three, you didn't get the offer. So being yeah. as competitive you are, being from a target school, being a smart kid, having prepped, you still didn't get the offer until that final one, which is surprising to me. You know, I think it just speaks to how competitive it is and how crazy it is. Tell yeah. me about, do you feel like the any of the mega funds or middle market funds are, are, are going later or holding seats open and recruiting later? I mean, there's, there's definitely some of the top funds even um, only they did on cycle, but they only interviewed second years in the on cycle process. Interesting. Um, okay. And they, they basically do you know which said, funds? Yeah, do you know which early. do you know which funds those are? Yes, Sil- Sil- Silver Lake um, chose to do that. I, I don't know. I don't know any of the other funds in particular, but okay. Sil- Silver Lake made that decision. Got it. So they said, "Look, we'll just take our chances with the second years." <laughs> yeah, and I've I've heard Searchlight did the same, but I, that that I don't know. You're not sure. Or, you know, can't confirm. Okay. Very cool. Anything else? Um, so yeah, I, we didn't get too much into like your day-to-day life at in banking. I assume it's very much uh, what we've heard before. But anything you want to share about that or the the group you're in in terms of like the work-life balance? Is it going well? Are the deals you're working on interesting? Yeah, I mean, I I definitely think just overall, you know, the banks have very clearly made an effort to try to keep analysts. Mm-hmm. And it shows. You Are know, you actually getting weekends? Like, I know different bulge brackets have different policies. Like, I, I can't remember. Exactly. I, I don't want to say what policy your bank has because it may give it away. But, yeah. like, can you, right. is is whatever policy they're doing, whether it's like, I, I know one is like Fridays, another one's like weekend, like every fourth weekend. I know another one has like pencils down like Friday to Saturday. And there's a, there's a whole yeah. bunch of them out there. I can't, but is, is that actually being enforced? 
A hundred percent. You know, it, wow. it, it, it definitely depends on your firm and your group. Um, mm-hmm. You know, at my last job, we had a policy that was blatantly ignored. Um, mm. And, you know, it was like we, we, we would make jokes about it almost to be like, oh, like, you know, that's like a, you know, protected Friday or like you know, protected Saturday <laughs> or something. But um, <laughs> um, I love it. But I think the boutiques um, have a harder time with it. Right? Don't they? Do you yeah. would you agree with that? Like the boutiques, elite boutiques uh, or smaller firms, like they don't have the they don't have the extra bench to like be able to absorb. Exactly. Um, exactly. I mean the you know, the my analyst class size tripled uh between firms and I mean, you know, at the senior level, the seniors, you know, there's like only about fifty percent more seniors. So it's like you, you you've got basically double the workforce per person, uh, to work on this stuff. And so yeah. um, part of that is they, they then give you more work and, you know, um, and part of it is also just bigger deals require more people. But um, at, at 100%, it's, it's hard. Boutiques are harder to staff and harder to make these policies for. Right. Do you think, uh, what do you think in yeah. terms of the trends going forward? Do you think it's going to continue? Do you think banks are going to become even more, la- I mean, I think retention is still a big problem. You see private equity poaching all the, quote, top talent yeah. from the banks. Would what do you think are the bank's next move? Do you have any thoughts in terms of where it's heading? I mean, I, I think honestly, I mean, I, I think banks are going to keep trying to keep people and going to keep making it better. I mean, you know, we have chats with our group head all the time and, you know, like different people from the bank, be it HR or bankers reaching out, you know, just having forums, basically, even having some like senior banker, or, like analyst and associate forums, just saying like, please, like, what can we do to keep you? Just anything. You know, do you want more money for your seamless dinners? Do you want, you know, more, do you want Sunday off too? Like what, what can we do? Do You know, do you want to get promoted a year earlier? What can we do to keep you? Right. Um, And so, you know, I think it's going to keep going, but to be honest, I just think. Where does that, that where does that balance out? Like what would it take? What would it take to keep people on the sell side? I mean, there's got to be at some point, there's got to be something the banks can do. A lot of people say no, because the type of work in private equity, maybe they're just more interested in that. But but yeah. t- talk to me about that. Is there something the banks can do? I mean, I personally think the. I mean, I'm, I'm of the belief that at the end of the day, there's very little they can do. Um, you know, the type of work is just not not as appealing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, no matter how much you know you do towards the hours, they're always going to be hard. But I, I do think the biggest thing that's been successful here that you know for me at least, and obviously this comes from someone who's leaving, but but for me, I've seen work is just bringing analysts to meetings and making analysts feel like they're part of the team in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's, there's very much still, even after all these initiatives that they have, there's still a mentality that analysts are just kind of, you know, replaceable uh, deal monkeys, you know, cog we're, in the we're, wheel. We're basically just, <laughs> the cog. Yeah, we're, we're, exactly. We're basically just woefully underslept robots that <laughs> can crank through Excel and PowerPoint. Um, and, and, and so I think that, you know, really, the, the best thing that the banks can do is just like bring bring them to meetings, you know, say thank you, as ridiculous as that sounds. Mm-hmm. Like just having, you know, your boss come by and say thanks for the hard work on the pitch, you know, goes goes a long way. Yeah. Um, and you know, unless they start doing that and analysts become a bigger part of the process, I think if we keep staying, you know, as kind of behind the scenes um, Excel monkeys, I think it's gonna, it's no matter what. You know, no matter how many protected weekends you get, it's, it's going to stay the same. Yeah, personally, I think that until they continue to drop the hours even more, more protected weekends, more kind of of these policies, but also not just that, I think the, the early promotions. So the yeah. analyst associate promotion was a big, is actually a big deal. I think that actually yeah. might really get people to, to stick around because if they see a path with no MBA, if they see a right. path where they actually like to sell and they like the idea of yeah. doing transactions, you may you may actually hold on to a few people each year that you wouldn't have otherwise. Um, and I, I will say too, you mm-hmm. know, on in 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 terms of reinforcing that, um, there, you know, I have many friends who are taking pay cuts to go to private equity and who are you know missing out on a promotion basically and going from what would be a second year associate at a bank to first year associate at a PE fund, um, where at the PE fund, you know, associate to the bottom level versus bank. You've got analysts before you, and you're a more senior associate. So, a hundred percent, I think the the early promotions 
maybe not yet, but can make a difference. So tell me about, we're on pay a little bit. Tell me a little bit about pay at the boutique, and then you can give a little slight ranges if you don't want to give exact, yeah. but then, and then tell me about what you've been seeing at, at your group or um, at your so bank. Definitely, um, you know, pay at the boutique was better, way better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, um, you, you sort of take a prestige haircut when you go to a bulge bracket. So tell me like base a um, hundred or something or yeah. base 90 or, um, I mean, well, the salary is the same pretty much everywhere. Yeah. Um, with the exception, with the exception of, you know, maybe if you're at the top two, you know, investment banks, uh, right. who give, um, you know, who give 75 and then center view who notoriously just all in gives kids 300 K as an analyst. Right. But, um, with, with, with that exception, it's, you know, base salary pretty much across the board is 85 to 90 mm-hmm. um, for analysts. And then bonus at a bulge bracket can be up to, call it, you know, 80% for the top, top analysts. Mm-hmm. Whereas at, at the boutique I was at before, it got up to 120% for right. the top performance. So you're analysts. talking, let's say, 90 base and like 100 to 110 bonus for, exactly. for, for a first yeah. year analyst, like About 200 crazy. all in. Yeah. yeah, which is crazy for your first year out of school. Not bad. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, a lot of people that a lot of people don't think that uh, or don't understand that sometimes the boutiques pay more because they understand they right. need to to attract the, the exactly. top talent. So, so okay. And then uh, private equity. Do you have an idea of what you're going to be getting or what the ranges are that you're seeing from other people? Um, I, I I think you know for for most of the people that i've talked to obviously it depends on fund size yeah if you're at a fund that's in the you know five billion plus range it seems like 250 to 300 is what you know all in Mm -hmm. um is is what you can expect Mm -hmm. and then the the middle markets can range like crazy i mean i have some friends who are getting all in 180 um which is you know a a pay you know there's some third-year analysts that make more than that um and so um Sounds like my and, first and year in private people. equity. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, but there's also some people at you know middle, very small middle market funds that, as a first year associate, you can start getting carry. So I mean, you know, and those those do still exist, and those are like you know the 500 million to below funds. But if, you know, if, if you're getting carry in a well performing fund, you know, you can pass 300 pretty easily. Um, in in you know in, in in terms of all in. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, so in terms of yourself so this is an on-cycle process so you still have a couple years at your bolt bracket correct yeah yeah yeah. i've still got two more years left so how do you plan to survive knowing that you have a private equity offer how are you, you going to motivate yourself <laughs> i mean to, you know to, to me i actually think uh you know i'm i'm just in general a very hard-working person and someone who actually very much enjoys finance and enjoys what i do um obviously i don't enjoy you know formatting boxes and powerpoint mm-hmm. um, but um, I, I think, you know, to me, like there was almost once I got the job, the, my biggest concern was what do I do with all my free time now? Because um, I basically had spent every second I wasn't sleeping or working. I was just prepping for PE interviews. Um, yeah, all your free time because you're only working 70 hours a week. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, there's, there's 168 hours in a week and every investment banker knows that number. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, you know, if you've got 80 hours, it's, I mean, that's still a solid 88 left. But... <laughs> Um, yeah. And, and, um, I think, I think the other, uh, the other big thing is, you know, there is, especially with the, the early promotions coming in now, I do still have to earn a promotion to associate if I'm going to stay for two, the full two years. So, um, there, there's still a lot of pressure to continue to be a top performer and stay, you know, stay on the game. Got it. So what would happen if you didn't, would your PE offer get rescinded? Um, you know, honestly, some, it, it depends. Depends on the fund, depends on the person. Some mm-hmm. people that oh, that would be I, amazing know, if it didn't get happened to, and he just started a year early. Yeah, or it'd be awesome if you didn't get the prom- promo and you could take a year off or six months off before starting. Well, I, I, another person that I know actually talked to the PE firm and then worked for a startup for a year, oh, um, cool. and you know worked for one of his college buddies was starting a small company out in San Fran, and he wanted to work for it. Um, I, you know, it's something that you have to talk to your fund with and. You have to make sure they're okay with it. I don't know if they're going to sign off on a year of vacation. <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't think but, you need a year, um, but six months yeah. would be nice, or three months at least before starting. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. But I, I think from you know the few people that I've talked to, the the, the majority have just started a year early. Got it. Fair enough. And so um, before we wrap up, any any kind of words of wisdom you would have given your younger self? Um, Going through I, this think, whole thing? I mean, it's, you know, it's ridiculous because I started my first semester sophomore year, but start earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you like basically if 
you, you, especially, you know, if when I was 18 and saying, oh, like, let me just, you know, I just finished high school. Let me just relax for the summer. I think just the, the biggest thing you can do is just start thinking about what it is that you want to do. Um, and I, I, I think the biggest step towards that is just talk to people who are in the industry and always, always, always talk to people who have done it before for everything. I mean, you know, when I get a pitch book at work, the first thing I, you know, request, the first thing I say is, can I see a precedent? And same thing, like, you know, if you're tasked with a decision or you want to become involved with something, yeah. you should always say, well, what have people done before? Um, and talking to those people and learning from them is, is one, it's great for networking. Um, you know, if I, I, had, I had a high school senior reach out to me because he, he went to my high school um, yeah. and he found me on LinkedIn. And I was incredibly impressed, um, you know, and I, and I mean, you know, I, I said, keep in touch. And if he emails me next year when recruiting starts, I'll, you know, forward him to HR in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but then even more so just, you know, you, I, I made a bunch of mistakes and I, obviously I would sit myself down and walk myself through those mistakes. But even more importantly, I'd say, you know, if I only get this one conversation with you, instead of wasting it talking to me, just make sure to talk to as many people and find out their mistakes and what they would do differently. For sure. Well, man, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's been really insightful and uh, went longer than usual, but it was—I think it was—it was. It was uh, hopefully, the listeners enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I—it's—it's uh, I, it's definitely something I enjoyed talking about. I'm, you know, glad that process is behind me. But um, you know, I also <laughs> also just want to thank you both for your time and also just you know all the resources that WSO provides. Um, you know, it, it really was my main resource for PE recruiting and uh, owe, owe a lot of uh, my success to uh, the resources on the website. Appreciate it, man. Thanks so much. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. And until next time.